pause when the clock has started. Well, what do you know? It looks like Tony is still here. I'll just sit on this chair in the corner while he introduces the show again. Top of the morning to you. This is 20 minutes, you'll never get back. <laughs> yes, this is 20 minutes, you'll never get back. My name is Doug Prazak. Thank you very much for tuning in and welcome to episode 91. I, I cannot believe it's episode 91, but you know, at least I've stayed with it. Some of these big time stars, you know, they have a podcast, they do 10 episodes. Yeah, sure, they have like 200 million uh, listeners. But you know what? I've done 91 episodes for the tens of you. So <laughs> I appreciate you always tuning in and listening. And hey, thanks again to Tony for once again showing us his um, his acting prowess. This time it was either Irish or Scotch. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, but thanks, Tony. I appreciate it. Uh, let's see. Let's get on with the show. What do you say? We'll start off as usual with our uh, who who was on my list of listeners last week that I don't recognize. Uh, Kirkland, Washington. I know I haven't seen them before. Uh, in case you're wondering, Kirkland, Washington is 17 hours and 18 minutes for me to drive there from here. So in just, just a little over 17 hours, I can be in Kirkland, Washington. Not that you guys want me there. And let's see, Auburn, Massachusetts. I've had Massachusetts before, different places. I don't think I've had Auburn. Um, but anyway, their zip code is 01501, in case you're wondering. And lastly, oh my God, Gerardsbergen. Gerardsbergen. I apologize. You know, <laughs> I do my best. Gerardsbergen. I'm pretty certain. That's what it is. Anyway, that's uh, in the hilly southern part of the Belgian province of East Flanders. So there you go. Gerardsbergen. Thank you for listening. Alrighty. So for this week's episode, I'm going to reveal a little something about me. <laughs> I know you're all excited about that. I'm sure many of you have thought, man, I'd love to ask Doug this question, but I just didn't know how to ask it. Maybe you were too intimidated by me. I don't know, but... You've wanted to say to me, Doug, you have a podcast, you make soap. Is there anything you can't do? <laughs> well, I'm glad you finally asked me, and I'm glad to finally reveal this about me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed by it, and I'm definitely humbled. <sighs> Here goes. I can't play any musical instrument. There. I said it. I own it. It feels good to get that out. <laughs> I can't play any musical instrument. Wait, wait, that's not quite true because I can play the car horn and I can play the doorbell. I'm not certain there's a lot of uh, orchestras looking for car horn players, <laughs> but if there were, I would be first chair, don't you think? So yeah, I have to admit, I have no musical talent whatsoever, any way, shape, or form. I It, it was a little disappointing to my dad because he was a professional trumpet player. <laughs> I tried to play the trumpet uh, when I was in the seventh grade, I was in the music class for about two weeks, and then I got transferred to the art class. <laughs> that just kind of says it all right there, doesn't it? But I am in awe of those of you who, you know, probably 87% of you listening right now who can play music of, of some sort, and I'm way blown away if you can read music. You know, all those characters on on those little lines look like some kind of Star Wars resistance secret code or something. I, I, I don't understand what those things are, hence the art class. 
So where's all this leading, you ask? Well, I got to thinking about what musical instruments I could play. You know, knowing that the musical gene is missing in me, there must be something that someone with my incredibly low skill level could play. Well, after some research, because, you know, I wanted to do it so you didn't have to, I think I might have actually found a couple things I might be able to play and, you know, knock out a tune or two. (laughs) And none of them are a car horn or a doorbell. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not my intention to mock any of you who who do play these instruments, uh, either very well or even professionally. I'm only suggesting that with my limited ability and buried far enough back in the orchestra, I might be able to make some musical noise and keep up. (laughs) It's a possibility. Not a given conclusion, but a possibility I could be making some sort of musical noise. So without any further ado... (laughs) I just wanted to say adieu. Here are the five instruments that Doug thinks he might be able to play. <laughs> okay? Number one, and there are no specific order either, by the way, but number one is the cowbell. <laughs> the cowbell has an official definition besides something that Clarabelle the cow wears around her neck. It's an idiophone hand percussion instrument. and <laughs> It's used in various styles of music such as Latin and rock. Now, the cowbell origin can be traced back to the freely roaming animals in the uh, alpine uh, slopes. In order to help identify the herd to which these animals belonged, herdsmen placed bells around the animal's neck. Now, cows would have one sounding ring to it, and sheep might have a different pitch bell ring and goats another. As the animals moved around, the bell would ring and it was easier for the herder to know which animal was where. Now, these types of bells were called tuned cowbells or Almglockens. (laughs) I I think I did pretty good with that one. Almglocken. Their German name Alm means mountain meadow and Glocken means bells. (laughs) They're sometimes known by their English translation, Alpine Bells. Now, a whole bunch of composers included Almglockens in their compositions. The list includes a bunch of names that may be important to you. Not to me, but here's a couple of them. Gustav Mahler, Richard Strauss, John Adams, and Karlheinz Stockhausen. (laughs) Another composer named Oliver Messian, well, he used multiple sets of clapperless cowbells in several of his compositions. That just meant he took the metal dingy thing out of the the middle of the bell, (laughs) okay? That's the clapperless cowbell. Now, they're made of metal, and they're an important part of Latin, American, and go-go music. The cowbells are hit with a stick, Different tones are made by striking different parts of the bell and by damping with the hand holding the bell. See, now we're talking my speed. I can just hit the bell with a stick, so I think this one may work for me. In several parts of the world, pairs or trios of clapperless bells are joined together in such a way they can be struck separately or clashed together. The Brazilian name for these is agogo bells. I hope that's correct. Uh, In Cuban music, the cowbell is called the sincero and is often played by the same player as the bongos. In the Caribbean music, two or three are often mounted together with a pair of timbales. So there you go, the cowbell. The next instrument that I think I might be able to play is the tambourine. You know, on second thought, I'm pretty sure you have to be able to keep a beat going. Uh, it would be pretty bad when the tambourine player is like half a second off from everybody else. And that would be me. And I would be back in art class again. The origin of the tambourine is unknown, but it appears in historical writings as early as 1700 BC. 
and was used by ancient musicians in West Africa, the Middle East, Greece, and India. The tambourine made its way to Europe by way of the merchants and musicians. Now, the word tambourine has its origins in the French tambourine. (laughs) Go figure. That referred to a long, narrow drum used in Provence, and the word is derived from the word tambour, which means drum. Here's a little fact for you. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, he was among the earliest Western composers to include the tambourine in his compositions. So at its most basic, the tambourine can be held in the hand or mounted on a stand and can be played in numerous ways, from shaking the jingles. Wow, those things actually have a name. Those little round things, they're called jingles. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, striking it sharply with a hand or a stick or using a tambourine to strike the leg or hip. You know, nothing says I'm cool like hitting a tambourine on your hip. (laughs) In the late 1700s, the tambourine had a huge surge in popularity in England with some composers of salon music writing parts for the tambourine, indicating as many as 30 different playing strokes or moves. All right, well, that cinches it right there for me. 30 different playing moves. I think I could probably handle one (laughs) at the very most two, so... Yeah, I'm out, but um, I'll continue my research here. In the late 19th century, the Salvation Army made the tambourine one of their important rhythm instruments. They preferred the term timbrel, which was taken from the Bible. By 1945, the Salvation Army performances often entailed elaborate tambourine choreography performed by squads in paramilitary style, more for a visual appeal than for any kind of musicality. African slaves were denied drums because it was thought they might be used for long-distance communications. But to supply a rhythm in their music, they turned to smaller percussion instruments, such as rhythm bones or the tambourine. The tambourine became one of the main instruments of the American minstrel show in the early 1800s. The tambourine was also used in some vaudeville acts. By the 1920s, the tambourine was firmly established as the primary percussion instrument of gospel music. And shooting ahead to today, the tambourine used in pop music is the headless tambourine or the jingle ring. It doesn't have any kind of head on like we it's just the ring with the jingles on it. <laughs> Again, I got to keep a beat with that one, so that one is a little iffy for me. So what should be standing out to you right now is that if I can hit the instrument with a stick or whack it on my hip, I might have a chance. And that leads me to the next instrument I might be able to play in the Los Angeles Philharmonic. It's the triangle. Now, I'm going to avoid saying how hard can that be? But, uh, you know, come on. (laughs) Well, the triangle is another idiophone type of musical instrument in the percussion family. It's a bar of metal, usually steel, but sometimes other metals bent into a triangle shape. (laughs) It's pretty simple. The triangle evolved from the Egyptian sistrum and was largely used for religious purposes. These earlier triangles often had three jingles hanging from the lower bar, producing a continuous jingle when struck. It wasn't until the early 19th century when the rings vanished and the triangle developed its known uh, shape today. The triangle shape is not closed. One of the ends does not quite touch the rest of it. This opening is used to keep the instrument from having a definite pitch. The triangle is often subject to jokes and (laughs) one-liners. 
did I do that? As an instrument that seemingly has no musical function and requires no skill to play. <laughs> yes, now we're talking. Finally, something designed for me. However, uh-oh, triangle parts in classical music can be very demanding. And one of the most distinguished percussionists in Western music, James Blades, you know that guy, he wrote that, quote, the triangle is by no means a simple instrument to play. Well, crap. <laughs> Very quiet notes can be obtained by using a much lighter beater. Knitting needles are sometimes used for the quieter notes. Composers will sometimes call for wooden beaters to be used instead of a metal one, which gives a rather duller and quieter tone. When the instrument is played with one beater, <laughs> oh my God, I did not just say that sentence. When the instrument is played with one beater, the hand that holds the triangle can also be used to damp or slightly modify the tone. For a complex, rapid rhythms, the instrument may be played with two beaters. <laughs> Although this makes it more difficult to control. In European classical music, the triangle has been used in Western classical orchestra since about the middle of the 18th century. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Joseph Haydn, and Ludwig von Beethoven all used a triangle. The triangle is also popular in Cajun music, where it serves as the strong beat, especially if no drums are present. In the Brazilian music style of forro, it's used with a large drum called a zabumba, and an accordion. That's all fine and dandy. The version of triangle I prefer is the one you see in the westerns. <laughs> the triangle's hanging in the front porch, and then sometime around supper time, Ma would come out and start banging on the thing, hollering, come and get it! <laughs> That's a triangle I'd like to play. Instrument number four that I think I can probably play is the slide whistle. It's also known by some, but, but not me, as a swanee whistle, a lotos flute, a piston flute, or a jazz flute. It's a wind instrument, duh, consisting of a fipple <laughs> and a tube with a piston in it, a fipple. In theory, it has an air reed like some woodwinds, but varies the pitch with a slide. The construction is rather like a bicycle pump. These kind of sound fancy, but the ones I've seen are red plastic with a yellow slide and it certainly doesn't have a reed. Because the air column is cylindrical and open at one end and closed at the other, it overblows the third harmonic. Yeah, the definition of that is an ascending and descending glissando is produced by moving the slide back and forth while blowing into the mouthpiece. <laughs> so there you go. Let me know. The piston flutes in folk versions were usually made of cane or bamboo and existed in Africa, Asia, and the Pacific, as well as Europe, before the modern versions were invented in England in the 19th century. The latter, which uh, may be more precisely referred to as the slide or swanee whistle, is commonly made of plastic or metal. The modern slide whistle is a familiar sound effect. You know, name any cartoon that does not have a whistle in it that usually ends in a crash. If cartoons aren't your thing, then certainly you must have heard when a player is bankrupt on Wheel of Fortune. And the last instrument is one that I know I can play, and I'm using the term play in the loosest sense. <laughs> it's the kazoo. The kazoo is an American musical instrument that adds a buzzing quality to a player's voice when the player vocalizes into it. 
It's a type of Merlitin which itself is a membraphone. It's one of a class of instruments which modifies a player's voice by way of a vibrating membrane. Similar hide-covered vibrating and voice-changing instruments have been used in Africa for hundreds of years, often for ceremonial purposes. But let's bottom line this, okay? A kazoo player hums rather than blows into the bigger, flattened side of the instrument. (laughs) Okay, once again, I can't believe I just said that sentence. A kazoo player hums rather than blows into the bigger and flattened side of the instrument. (laughs) Sorry, it's late again. A popular anecdote suggests that a formerly enslaved person named Alabama Vest lived in Macon, Georgia. It's said... He designed the modern kazoo in 1840 in collaboration with a German clock manufacturer, Thaddeus von Klegg. The kazoo was formerly named the Klegghorn. Because the pair introduced their musical invention at the Georgia State Fair in 1852, the kazoo is commonly considered an American invention despite its African origins. Many kazoo enthusiasts have continuously petitioned to make the kazoo the national instrument of the United States, though in 1885, the Telegraph referred to the kazoo as, quote, a new nondescript musical instrument of torture. (laughs) After the Georgia State Fair run in 1916, salesmen Emil Sorg and Michael McIntyre came across the kazoo and decided to launch the original American Kazoo Company in Eden, New York. They started the first manufacturing of kazoo for the masses in a two-room shop and factory, utilizing a couple of dozen presses for cutting, bending, and crimping metal sheets. The original factory in Eden, New York, still produces kazoos to this day. McIntyre patented the kazoo in 1923, and business boomed. By 1994, the company produced 1.5 million kazoos per year and was the only manufacturer of the metal kazoos in North America. The factory, which still is in its original configuration, is now called the Kazoo Factory and Museum and it's open for public tours. The kazoo is played professionally in jug bands and comedy music by amateurs everywhere. It's one of the easiest melodic instruments to play, requiring only the ability to vocalize in tune. Uh-oh. According to music authors Julius Grieve and Sasha Pullman, kazoos have never been considered respectable instruments, but rather, quote, toy-like sound producers for the common man, woman, and above all child, namely because the kazoo is, quote, figured out in the hands of the learner and not at the advice of a teacher. Well, somebody's a little full of themselves, aren't they? Well, you know what? I can see by the clock. It's time to wrap this up. So I'm going to leave you with the Moss Eisley Kazoo Orchestra and their Star Wars tribute. So there you go. If you have no musical talent like me, I've provided you with five different instruments. You can try to start your own orchestral career. (laughs) I'm going to tomorrow. And that will officially wrap up this episode. But first, what have we learned? Well, we learned that no matter what anyone says, a car horn is a musical instrument. I'll stand by that. We learned that cowbells start off as, well, cowbells. (laughs) And we learned that if you can hum into an instrument, it's probably a kazoo. (laughs) That's it. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye. 
Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.